Welcome to Outside the House, where we discuss local and national political issues and ideas with a lens of social and climate justice, and connect with the radical people who are taking action across the country because they believe we can do better. I'd like to acknowledge that the land we live on, also known as Turtle Island, in addition to the traditional names locally, is sacred land that has been inhabited by Indigenous and First Nations people for more than 15,000 years. I'm thankful for this opportunity to share space, honour, and celebrate the lives and traditions of those whose land was stolen from them. I'm your host, Katie Robertson, and welcome to this episode of Outside the House. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Outside the House. Today we are going to be talking about children with autism and needs-based therapy. Um, based on some research that I've done, an estimated 1 in 66 children are identified as being on the autism spectrum in Canada. And today I welcome uh, my dear friend Tony. He is a parent and advocate for children with autism. Welcome Tony. Hi, Katie. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Oh, fantastic. Um, we've we've okay. known each other for a long, t- for a long time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Since long we time. were teenagers. <laughs> yeah. Now we're old. <laughs> now we're old. Yeah, we live across the country and, um, and we're both causing a ruckus. So <laughs> um, has to be done. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for for joining me. Speaking of being old, you have two boys now um, who are actually both, they're both living with autism. Is that correct? Yes. So can you explain a little bit about what that means or what that looks like just for people that don't have any experience Um, being around children that that live with autism? Well, the thing with autism um, if you met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. They are so like, it's such a huge spectrum. My boys are twins and their autism is so different. Um, so living, there's many challenges. Both my sons are nonverbal. Uh, so communication is a huge, um, barrier in our house and, um, you know, simple everyday things like eating and, uh, dressing and, toileting it's it's a huge uphill battle how how old are your boys um they're seven and when did you first um sort of notice that there might be something that had to get checked out um it was uh, around the year mark they had their uh their NICU appointment and the doctor had raised some flags so right away my wife got on it and we got everybody involved and they were diagnosed by the age of two okay is that common like for kids to be diagnosed that that early or I guess that easily well when it's uh like it was pretty obvious like so um you have to go they want you to wait till it there's always wait lists as well so we were on the wait list I think for about a year and uh, so they do certain tests and they were both diagnosed as moderate to severe autism. Some children, especially girls, are um, diagnosed later, like when they start school, because uh, it's, uh, I guess it's a little less obvious in girls sometimes because uh, they might be introverted or, you know, but with my boys, it was pretty obvious right off, like 
from early age. That must have this this must be uh, an unexpected challenge. I mean, it, parenting is difficult at the best of times. So, how how have you guys coped? What about services or access to services? What does that look like for you guys? Um, well, coping. I'm not gonna lie. The year before they were diagnosed, I was devastated because I didn't the unknowns and your dreams and your hopes for your children. You think well it's all gone but as time goes and you know you go through all the different steps you accept it and you embrace it because autism brings a lot of great things too um you know it's not always challenges there's a lot of great things in the day um but it's something that you have to kind of work with and accept or else you know it's never going to be fun (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) It's hard, um, hard to explain that part. No, but yeah. It, unless you live it, it's hard to explain. Yeah, yeah. So there must, I mean, to me, like I, I'm so grateful every day. My daughter is, you know, relatively healthy, um, doesn't have any, you know, she hasn't been born with anything um, that would affect her you know, overall quality of life, as it were. But I also um, understand that, you know, when, when your kids are different or they have extra needs, that that can be, one, quite isolating, and two, challenging to find the resources that, to support you. So was that has that been your experience? It's a huge huge barrier um services are available but very limited and i'm lucky i live in the durham region and there's there's different places and there's a lot of services but like you go any further north like our northern and rural areas have little to no services due to the fact that the government keeps changing every program every couple years and they can't build capacity so like i'm I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones that I live close to places that there's services, right? But if you live in any rural area, you got to drive quite a while. And then there's huge wait lists all over Ontario. Even if you want to pay out of pocket, there's wait lists. So is that where your advocacy work comes into play? Like, can you talk a little bit about some of the, how you got involved in that and, and some of the things that you've been doing? Uh, absolutely. So um, luckily... I have a great group of people. I always say they're the best group of people I wish I never had to meet, but <laughs> they're amazing people and they fought. They've been, there's been people fighting um, since the early 2000s and they're the Ontario Autism Coalition and they've been fighting and fighting and fighting and they've kept services going. And in 2016, the government tried to cut off services at the age of five and there was a huge uh, uproar and they fought and they had the decision was reversed and they um, came up with a needs-based program, which my children are currently benefiting from, but they're only, you know, a hand, uh, you know, a few thousand, four or 5,000 kids that are getting that service right now. Um, So back in 2018, when Doug Ford was, um, campaigning he was asked a question by an autism mom 
what will you do for the autism community? He said, I will be behind you 1000% and you will not have to protest on the front lawn of Queens Park. Well, let me tell you, that was far from the truth. We've had to protest many times on the front lawn of Queens Park. Um, so, in, so when they were elected, they basically froze the program right away and no kids were like, no new kids were getting knees-based therapy. So they wanted to cut the program off so did Ford announce that? No. So that was, no, that, that was, was prior previous, to Ford. Yeah. And they okay. tried and there was pushback. It took them, I think three months and they came up with a new program and they brought the community in, formed a quick panel, not a quick panel, but some really brilliant minds. And they came up with the current program. The only problem is it wasn't complete. So the program wasn't completely finished and perfected by the time the Ford government came in and it was underfunded. So Ford government decided, well, we're gonna completely redesign this instead of finishing what the liberals did. And that so, meant cutting off or trying to cut off everybody from funding altogether? Well, what happened was they froze the wait list, which was later leaked through documents. So they had regional providers that would distribute the therapy money and they were sent um, notices right after the election that no new kids will be going into the program into the new year. So that's six months of children not coming off the wait list and no one knew people were waiting for their number to come up and it didn't. So they held these consultations, which were just bogus because they already had a plan come out and February of 2019, um, the minister, Lisa McLeod, made a big announcement that they're going to clear the wait list. There was 23,000 kids on the wait list and they were going to clear it. And their way of clearing it was by basically getting rid of a therapy program and making it to a subsidy program. If your child was under five, they would get $20,000. And if your child was over five, they would get 5,000, which is age discriminatory because ABA therapy, if it's for a severe, you know, if they need 30 hours a week, it could cost up to $80,000. But not every kid needs that. So that day, my world crashed around me. I was reading a little bit about this. I, I saw some stats on um, Autism Speaks. I think they're an advocacy group as well. And it says that most children don't even get diagnosed or the symptoms of autism don't appear until between two and three years old. So even if it's before five, you know, you're already three years in and then you're on a one-year waiting list and they're saying that they'll give you $20,000 worth of funding for therapy that is already not adequate enough. And then, you know, maybe maybe your child turns five before you even get access to this program. And then now you're, you know, you're being shuffled into the other cohort, which is only $5,000. Yeah. And the majority of people were waiting three to five years for therapy. Three so to by five the time, years. so that was, you know, their idea was to clear the wait list, give everybody some money and no one gets, they were, they had all these organizations like Autism Speaks and, and Autism Ontario and Ontaba, which is a group of professionals that perform the, the therapy and they basically were threatening them and there was um, most people didn't speak out but there was a group of professionals that spoke out and they were told it'll be a long four years if you do not endorse this program 
So this is is Minister Todd Smith and Doug Ford. No, this was Lisa McLeod at the time. Okay. So she basically said it will be a long four years and Ontario is getting out of the therapy business. And that's who we're dealing with. So zero compassion. (laughs) No, no compassion. And this person, while on the opposition, fought alongside parents with children, you know, and basically as soon as they got into power, they just turned their back knowing that this was a complete disaster. And uh, we fought hard. And that's how I ended up meeting my group of people, the Durham crew. Uh, We met at a protest two days after the announcement. I didn't know anybody. I've never been to a protest. And I met these amazing people, which, you know what, out of all this, it was a blessing because I felt alone, either my wife and I, and I didn't know anybody else in our situation. So now I have this whole support group. So we met each other and we just started doing protests and going throughout the Durham region because we have a lot of conservative MPPs in our region. And uh, yeah, from there on out, we've basically been uh, chasing, not chasing them, but wherever they were, we were, they have events barbecues skating rinks we were there and they know us well and we were always nice but we were always you know persistent and we wanted answers for where the heck is needs-based therapy so where does it stand now okay so after a bunch of you know pushback and we had a cabinet shuffle which is that's where todd smith comes in and it was we were doing well Uh, He was talking to us. There was a lot of great communication. And then uh, it went silent. Um, So to backtrack just a little bit, after we pushed back quite a bit on Lisa McLeod's childhood budget program, they promised a needs-based therapy program. And they were going to double the funding to $600 million, which would be amazing. And so many more kids would get in. Um, But they said they were going to come up with an expert panel. Well, this expert panel was also cherry picked, um, but with pushback, we had gotten um, the president of the OAC, uh, Laura Kirby McIntosh, who's an awesome parent and advocate, and she's just amazing and has been has devoted her life to fighting for children with autism. Uh, so she was put on the panel, but the panel was basically. It was designed to basically keep this program the same as it is. At the same so, level of funding, the three hundred yeah, million. The well, they might have been maybe a little more money, but it had no, they had no intentions on really making it needs based. And okay. we found this out throughout different channels. And in that same time, an actual um, MPP with the Conservative government, with Ford's government, had made his own. Um, he dissected the old plan and used the $600 million and he came up with a needs-based plan that he presented to his government. But in, at the same time, he also presented a document basic, basically saying that his government had falsified much information with the autism program. And it was, it was leaked. So he's, he was not, you know, they did not go with his plan, basically because it was leaked to the newspaper and the government does not like to be outed like that. <laughs> right. So was that intentional that he had, that he had 
leaked that because he knew that they wouldn't go with it? I, I'm just. Uh, I don't think so because he's been. In, I, I don't think that you know. I don't think it was intentional, but I don't know. Either way, I don't think they were going to go with his plan because it wasn't the Lisa McLeod plan. So mm -hmm. somebody leaked it. Not sure who it was, but it was good because the public needed to know. Um, so then they shuffled Lisa McLeod out not long after that, and we got Todd Smith. And uh, a few months later, after his listening tours, he went silent and just stopped talking to us and all communications. So you don't know where this program stands? Oh, now. I know where it, well, it, so the panel report comes out, uh, great, lots of great things, but then they decide they need another group to implement it. So they have another panel. Okay, great. So we don't hear anything. Right before Christmas, Todd Smith calls an announcement, and we are thinking he is going to be announcing the new needs-based plan because they had promised us that it would be ready for April 2020. So we all went down to Queens Park and we sat there and we listened to him and he basically went up there and said, we have to delay this program another year till 2021. Did so they we were say proud. why? Uh, they needed more time. Even though we had all the recommendations, we had the money, we, the whole system was there for them. They needed more time. To me, they're pushing back to election time. And this is one of those things. And they... I guess it's also a little revenge because we caused a lot of problems for them and a lot of pushback and we were in the news a lot. So um, that was it. So basically we geared up again and started protesting and we were hitting Todd Smith's, um, his riding hard. But then COVID hit and everything just kind of went like we couldn't protest anymore. We couldn't be out on the streets. So we took to the news, but it's hard to get really exposure when everything's been about COVID. And I totally right. understand, right? The whole world. But this is something like, our. this is a medically necessary therapy. Like without this therapy, so many children later on in life are going to have to, they could possibly have to live in institutions or group homes when so many of them just live independently with just the basic skills that they learn with this therapy. And I was also reading that many people with autism, and this is something that I actually had no idea that there's so many other uh, medical and mental health issues that accompany autism, like GI disorders, seizures, ADHD, anxiety, phobias. So there's this whole other realm where it's like, if they just had that type of support, like you said, then as adults to be able to live independently, like that's what everybody wants and should, and has a right to. It's so like mental health. Um, it's huge. And that's why we're asking in this new, not just be ABA, but we have occupational therapy, um, you know, some speech therapy, mental health services are huge, not only for the, for the children or the people with autism, but the families as well. Could be like, it's a, you know, it's around the clock. Your brain doesn't stop. You're always saying, my one son, he elopes. So I'm always, my house is geared up. I have alarms on every door. I have windows, you know, and I'm always thinking, because it's been close. He's almost been hit by a car. And those are things like, you know, the parents, eventually you're going to break down. And without supports within the household, you know, families are, I know so many families, unfortunately, that have been ripped apart because of this. I was, I was going to ask, 
how, I mean, I'm, if you want to speak on behalf of some of the people that you know, or just your family with COVID and, and then these announcements, how is you, how are you and your family coping? Um, honestly, I, you know, we've learned <laughs> how to get through it. And for the four months I stayed home because um, my boys couldn't go to therapy and it's a lot for my wife to handle just the two boys. And also if I get sick, like who's going to give my son medicine. And if one of them gets sick, they can't go in the hospital by themselves. So I had to basically, we, we shut down and uh, they, there was some regression from not being in therapy, but I mean, like every other crisis, my family, we get through it, but not everybody has what we have, right? My wife is amazing. And without her, my kids wouldn't be anywhere near where they are today. Like she's been amazing and she's been my rock. And I thank God that I met her every day. Sounds like she's a very special person. It always seems to me that the parents, when I meet them, um, who have children that are on the spectrum, they have this hero-like ability for patience and understanding and compassion and I, I, I just, you know, I don't, I don't wish it on anybody, but I also don't think that it's a job for the faint of heart either. No, but it changes your life. Like, you know, me from when we were kids, right? <laughs> yeah. so I'm a totally different person now. Like this is like flipped me and it, I, it's for the better, right? Like I, I've never loved people so much as I do my family. And I've learned now that I will go to great lengths to make sure that they are taken care of. If I can't do it myself, I'm going to make sure they get the help. And I've made it my life's mission now to make sure my boys are taken care of throughout their life and all the other kids. I'm taking that all on my shoulders because why not? You know, that's probably why we were friends <laughs> to begin with. We both are sort of that type of person that will take on the whole world if we have to just just to bring a little bit of peace and happiness to other people. Can you tell me just a little bit about what ABA, it's ABA, like Alpha Bravo Alpha? Yes, it's a, it's a applied behavior analysis. So it's a data-driven um, type of therapy. And uh, it's, um, we're, we're not trying to change them. Like they're always going to be who they are, but there's a lot of skills that, that I could never teach them. So, um, everything's broken down into data. Like data is number one for them. So they make programs. So like, for instance, my son likes to run. So the newest program that we're doing, we're having it. So he will walk beside me and if, you know, he won't run, but it takes months just to master that simple program that, you know, a, a typical child will pick that up pretty quick. Right. My son, he likes to run. But he's slowly learning that he's got to stay with daddy. If daddy says stop, he stops. And um, toilet training. And it's all, like I said, they take a lot of data. And they know what's working. If it's not working, they change the program a little bit. These people work tirelessly. And I, I owe the, our team a lot in our life. They go above and beyond. They don't get paid well. They get paid, you know, to my standards, they would get they're getting for what they're dealing with on a daily basis. These people deserve like medals. You have to want to be in that profession to be in it. And I imagine it's a twenty four seven job for them as well. <laughs> well, yeah, like they 
yeah, they're not just working with the children, but they have people writing the programs and they're training. They're always learning and they're always going to school and, and, and they teach us so we can continue the programs at home. There has been some controversy behind ABA in the past and uh, like, and that's why we're pushing for the, the field to be regulated so that there's oversight. And that's another thing, right? There's, there's a lot of holes in the previous programs, but they didn't need to completely dismantle it. We could perfect it, but they decided to go a whole other route and cause us like, there's no reason I should have like on a day-to-day basis, it's hard enough to get by. Right. And then you have to add advocacy to it. I get it. When they were first diagnosed, the doctor said to me, be prepared to be advocates for life. And I had no idea what that even meant. I was just like, okay, where do I sign up for the therapy? I didn't know. Yeah. So anyways, um, it's been a ride and we're not going to stop. We're going to come up with some creative ways to protest with like socially distancing time's up. There's too many children in this province in Ontario that are being left behind. And yeah, we're not going to stop. And uh, I've met some amazing people along the way. I got the Durham crew. I'm also a director on the Ontario Autism Coalition, which is made up of advocates and professionals from around Ontario. So on a daily basis, I'm working with people from Thunder Bay, Ottawa, Windsor, and, uh, we just keep going behind the scenes. How can people get involved or support, um, you know, people who are advocating for these types of things for, for children um, with autism? Well, the first step, I always say that you should reach out to your MPP. Uh, unfortunately for myself, my MPP had never wanted anything to do with helping us. So I've gone around that person and I've met other MPPs. Um, but you should always reach out to your MPP and they can speak on your behalf or you can go on Facebook. You can join the Ontario Autism Coalition or whichever province you're in. There's usually a Facebook group, uh, support groups. And um, yeah, I just, I just went on there and I saw that there was a protest happening in Whippy and I was like, let's do this. And from then out, I had made some of the best friends I've ever had in my life. The majority of my friends are now women uh, because it's a large group of ladies that advocate the mothers, right? So you got the mothers and then you got Tony with the beard, which (laughs) back at our very first protest, I said to everybody there, I said, I'm not shaving my beard until we get this done, not knowing it would be 20 months later and I've got this beard. So now there's a hashtag, let Tony shave. (laughs) It brings a whole new meeting to Movember. Yeah, it's just, it's, yeah. So now, you know, my wife's like, never promise that again. I'm like, okay, whatever. (laughs) But it's a thing. So it's pretty cool. We got, uh, we got these t-shirts that we made up, the needs-based therapy. And it's kind of been like, it's spread throughout the province now. So people have made their own or we've sent them out. So everywhere, you know, people go, they wear the needs-based shirt or a toque. And the government or, you know, the politicians see it and they know exactly who we are, uh, even without saying anything. It's advocacy, right? Mm-hmm. So the needs-based therapy is what you're primarily advocating for. Um, at a provincial level, yeah. At a provincial level. Is there is there more at a federal level or? Yeah, actually, uh, another big thing that's happening is um, 
after you know many different groups pushing the federal government um, they've mandated a national autism strategy so we're all in the works and there's many roundtables happening we're all getting involved with our mps so they're going to create a strategy it could take a long time but it's better than nothing i guess right now like it's going to take probably 10 years and hopefully it even happens but there's a lot the federal government can do for housing and employment and building capacity um, and even to fund therapies. So right now, everything's like in Ontario, therapies are under a social program, so they can just cut those anytime they want. So that's a pretty, it's an exciting thing, but we are also realistic and know how fast the government moves on anything. How fast they move and how, how short their attention spans are as well. That's the good thing about um, the Durham crew. Uh, we don't go away. So <laughs> their attention span is always like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, they have to stay focused on it. Yeah, because we, if we don't hear from them, and we're not like the pushy kind of group. We're always nice and, you know, we're welcome, but we don't let people forget. Tony, thank you so much for spending this time with me and sharing a little bit of your story. Like you said, that, that national program, there's so many... Uh, health-related, rights-related aspects of of people that need to be addressed on a federal level, but I think still maintaining that pressure provincially, obviously, because that's where it's administered right now, is is vital. And and I appreciate your energy and your time. And and I'm constantly in awe, like I said, of of you and your wife and the other families, caregivers, parents, you know, workers who just go above and beyond in, in giving these kids a chance and a fair chance and an equal chance at um, having, you know, the same quality of life as everybody else or similar at least. So I appreciate your time. Thank you. Oh, I appreciate you giving me the platform to talk. You know me, I like to talk. <laughs> Yes, I remember that. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Outside the House. We'd like to thank our guests, valued sponsors, and of course, all of our listeners for your support. Don't miss any of our weekly episodes. Follow us on social media and subscribe at patreon.com slash outside the house for ad-free and uncut content. Stay safe and be well.